Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Hello and welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the Editorial Director at PR Week. Going to guide you gently through another show and uh, we're delighted to be joined this week by Andy Wilson, who is the co-founder of a very interesting new agency called Drive Path Advisors and really looking forward to finding out more about it. Hey, Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah, looking forward to finding out more about that. And uh, Frank Washkirk's with us, executive editor of PR Week, our regular co-host. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Excited about the Olympics? Yeah, yeah. I love the Olympics. Um, um, it's already started. Uh, it has. Which it's sort of it's not, not up well on. for the U.S. women's uh, No, no, that was a surprise. And um, yeah, I, I feel bad for you if you woke up at 4 a.m. to, to watch <laughs> them today, uh, because that was not what you were expecting. Well, that's a good point. The timings aren't aren't brilliant are they for the u.s audience but anyway we'll get into that and uh, we'll talk about omnicom and ipg's q2 numbers facebook and this vaccine misinformation row and the president saying they're killing people and then saying they're not killing people etc a bit more on the olympics billionaires launching into space um yes interesting uh, let's discuss that. And then we a couple of really interesting articles we uh, published this week, one on the CMO of Discover Puerto Rico and another from the C- CEO of Mark's Realty. So property and tourism, two areas really badly hit by the pandemic. So we talked to some senior executives there and we're launching the PR Week Awards 2020. So uh, we'll talk about those a bit. But let's start with you, Andy. You um, and Gordon Panoya, who's your co-founder, both have come from the client side, although you used to work on agencies. I think you you met each other. Were you at H&K maybe about a decade ago? And you always had this idea of forming an agency and then you went client. So tell us about how it all happened. That's exactly right. So we were, you know, 27 and 28 year olds, uh, senior account executives and account supervisors back at H&K years ago. And we did what I think uh, every 27 or 28 year old working in the PR firm uh, does, which is go for drinks and, and, and talk with all their friends about someday we're going to do our own thing. Um, and, and, and it initially starts with sort of griping about what's going on in the office or, or what have you, but pretty quickly you start thinking, Hey man, we might actually uh, have a chance to build something and to compete and to, to take a shot. Uh, so that was 12, 13 years ago. We were at least smart enough to know that um, we could probably benefit from some, some additional experience before we did this. Um, so Gordon went off and joined Chesapeake Energy, where he's been for the last 10 years. I uh, went back to Capitol Hill for a brief stint and was with Fannie Mae and then with Edelman and then most recently with KPMG. So uh, we're excited about actually taking the shot, you know, making something real that was a daydream. Uh, a long time ago and seeing if we can't serve our clients with with excellence and with efficiency and, and being a nimble option for those financial communication assignments that uh, frankly are so important and are so uh, common these days where, where a client has to tell their story uh, ongoing or or has a moment in time where they need extra support. So we're excited about it and, and it yeah. feels good, especially after the last year to, to, to give it a shot. 
And it's funny you mentioned that sort of going out for drinks after work and sort of shooting the breeze. You know, that's something we've really yeah. missed, isn't it? The last 16 months and just starting to get back out and do it again. And uh, it's a lot of fun to, to do it. It really is because, you you know, so much, um, you know, ideas, creativity. It's an ideas and people business, isn't it? And, yeah, we all have a little gripe as well when we get together. <laughs> so Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. Yeah. But when you're with when you're with people, you, the gripe can turn into real um, sort of hope and planning and, and real real ideas quickly. Um, and, and I've had the occasion to be in Charlotte, D.C. and New York recently to see people in person. And what a shot of life that is uh, to, to get back to that, as you say. Yeah, for sure. And you've got some interesting minority investors in the firm. Tell us about those uh, individuals. Yeah, we've been very, very fortunate to to have the backing of uh, a firm called FHS Capital Partners, which are uh, three leading lights in our industry. Um, Bob Feldman, who was the CCO of DreamWorks and had his own company that uh, he built and, and eventually sold. Uh, uh, Don Spetner, uh, who uh, has been a CCO at several places, and, and then Bill Heyman, who is uh, well known to everybody probably listening here as the CEO of Heyman and Associates. And they they invest in niche uh, communications businesses like ours and have been interested in getting into the financial communications world. So to have a little bit of financial support, but also their, their good guidance and strategic advice as we uh, get up and running uh, is just huge. Um, I was struck by Sally Sussman talking about, um, on your podcast, the fact that she would team up with some of her colleagues at other, at other, uh, pharmaceutical companies over the last year. And, and the notion of being able to team up with people and to partner with people who, who know what they're doing and can, can add something is, is just really powerful. I think that's a trend across the corporate landscape, uh, and, and in the communications world. So to be able to do that with, with those three gentlemen is just, just extraordinary and we're, we're thrilled to have their support yeah we're all well known to pr we obviously don has been a columnist of ours for uh 15 years i think and um between those three i reckon they pretty much know everyone don't they in the industry so yeah that's uh, they, they know everyone which is valuable uh they also each bring unique perspective to any discussion and so whenever we have a question for them or have something we're trying to figure out about how to how to go about building a business uh um, they each offer a unique perspective which you know frankly is is the key uh i think in anything so um so that's been even even the most important part i think is 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 unique perspectives and, and insight based on that extraordinary experience which is exactly what we hope to offer our clients and what what ceos are offering to their to their CEOs and their teams, which is broad based experience um, that can help get things done quickly. So it's a bit dude heavy at the moment. Have you got plans to bring on that's true women to the firm? Absolutely, we've got a couple of um, consultants who are uh, both senior and junior advisor types, uh, and we are absolutely uh, in the mix with uh, folks who would be some of our first hires and or senior folks to bring on to, to help drive the business that, that bring uh, more diversity uh, to the table, uh, diversity of all kinds. Uh, like I said, we have, we have some, some contractor types that, are, that, that bring diverse perspectives to the table, but the name of the game is having a broad base of experience and perspective. We think diversity is not just the right thing to do. It's a competitive advantage. And so as we build, you'll see more and more on that. 
uh, of that from, uh, on our team. It's something we're we're committed to. So let me just say, uh, offer a shameless plug if there are any young uh, or or seasoned, diverse or non-diverse people that are interested in doing great things, we're we're hiring quick. So looking forward to talking to people about, let you about off what we Since your start, so we'll let you off with that one. Um, but the areas you're covering are really interesting, and we've been talking about them a lot on PR Week over the recent years. Shareholder capitalism, ESG, activist investors, employee engagement. These are all real growth areas, aren't they? And especially since COVID, but even before that. And, um, you know, what the the in-house communicator needs to do and with the help of their agency partners is these are difficult topics, aren't they? So talk a, talk a little bit about that, you know, and, how, and, and maybe put it in the context of how you were ex- advising your CEOs when you were both in-house, because um, I think it is a real sweet spot at the moment for, for, for the PR profession generally. Absolutely. Um, the, the fact of the matter is, is that audiences of all kind, be they internal, be they external, be they financial, be they consumers, uh, are expecting more. And they're asking questions of CEOs and companies that uh, simply weren't on the table even five and 10 years ago. Um, those questions can be uncomfortable. How are you, how are you navigating um, diversity, equity, and inclusion? How are you navigating ESG? Uh, the average CEO was taught not to talk about those topics in business school and in, in, in the corporate world. And so it's very uncomfortable for them when they get a question such as that where they're, maybe their training or their, their gut says, I don't want to talk about that. Um, the fact of the matter is they, they have to. And so uh, to be able to give them some advice about how they can navigate those questions, thread a needle in some instances, but also just have the confidence to engage um, or, or the confidence to say, we're working on it. Uh, we're figuring it out. We don't know all the answers today, but here's our path that we're uh, we're taking to 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 figure those questions out to to find those answers. To me, that's that's the 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 key need today among internal uh, communications counselors and 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 their agency partners. That's something that uh, you know we navigate. We've navigated um, through the course of our careers. We think we can be helpful with. Um, but that is the key task. How do you how do you prepare? How do you uh, position a CEO, position a company to engage on topics that are a little, a little new and different, that are novel, that are dynamic. Um, and, and so, you know, sometimes that's just boiling down the message and, and getting, getting clear, crisp preparation. Other times it's just practicing and, and preparation around, around, you know, doing some mock interviews or what have you, but, but having a, a steady hand to, to help is what, uh, we've certainly seen CEOs need. Um, I was at KPMG. Most recently, we had a new CEO that started in the middle of the pandemic, July 1st of last year, and a uh, really thoughtful guy, but uh, had been an auditor his whole career. And so it's the first time he's having to engage publicly on some of these topics. Um, so to be able to to be able to offer a, a seasoned piece of advice on how to handle a, a tough question or, or navigate a new topic is 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 fulfilling. And I think it's of the moment, as you say. It sounds like you're going to be doing some work with Chesapeake as well, um, which is Gordon's former sort of gig. So um, that they, you know, there's there were good contacts and maybe some business in that for you. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 similar to what I was just describing about my experience, that they're uh, in the middle of a 
a search for a permanent CEO. They've, they're, they're in the middle of a CEO transition. Uh, they are navigate. They're an oil and gas company, so they're navigating the challenges of of ESG and sustainability. Um, and they've just they've got like any company, big challenges and big opportunities ahead of them as the world gets gets back to whatever normal is. And so they, uh, you know, they've hired us to help. Um, with some of their ongoing work, but also some of those big ticket projects that uh, we think we're well suited for. So that's exciting. And we've got several other uh, clients we're already up and running with uh, similar similar assignments, new CEOs, CEOs that need to think differently about how they communicate, need to be able to tell stories more and connect with audiences in, in a new way that uh, they're not used to. Um, so those, those assignments, I think, are, are, are extraordinary opportunities to have an impact. Um, but so many CEOs are, are having to navigate a, a whole new world, not just with the sort of the, the last year, but in general, how stakeholders and audiences expect them to communicate. Yeah. And uh, not just externally, but internally as well with their yep. employees and, uh, you know, the, some of them maybe have quite enjoyed it, you know, a slightly in more informal um way of dealing with people when they're, they're doing zoom calls you know and they're in their own home or whatever and that, that, do you think some of those things will persist afterwards to be a slightly less formal interaction between the ceo and the c-suite and their employees absolutely i think the way of the world is uh you know be a real person uh be open and transparent sometimes i think ceos uh were trained uh to sort of have that chest forward, you know, we can solve the problem, you know, I'm the, I'm, I'm the answer to the problem kind of persona. And I think more and more saying, I don't know, saying we're figuring it out, saying, how can you help me uh, be better uh, to your employees is okay. And more and more uh, CEOs are seeing that and, and more and more CEOs are seeing the value of receiving information from their employees or from their key audiences, being an open listener not just sort of a mouthpiece of, of, of a message. Um, so I think those informal uh, engagements will be uh, here to stay. I think um, that will be absolutely a trend that lasts for, for a long, long time. Yeah, less top-down, more empathetic. Um, just right. finally, you know, we're, we're maybe two years uh, out from the, that business roundtable statement, you know, that 180-odd companies signed up to, to put uh, – um, all stakeholders, you know, on the same level as shareholders in terms of um, drivers of the business. Do you think, you know, what a lot of people say is, yeah, they, we've heard a lot of talk, but we need to see action. If you had to sort of audit the, that, that statement, um, how do you think it's gone in terms of the companies backing up what they said or what they signed up to? Clearly, it wasn't an easy time because COVID interrupted it. But uh, in a way, they needed to step up even more during that time. That's exactly right. So on the one hand, uh, lots of stepping up, lots of um, uh, progress, you know, whether that be DEI um, or, you know, supporting employees and communities through the pandemic. I think there's a very significant question out there about what does that mean to be putting all stakeholders on equal footing? I think, you know, one of the companies I think you mentioned that we might talk about is Facebook. And how do you live up to the to what you say about being a, a venue uh, for free speech, while also making sure that you're not uh, putting putting your 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 users, your your customers in in a diff, in a in a bad spot because you're not uh, sort of policing the truth in some form. So I think there's a huge huge 
uh, swath of space that needs to be filled about what does that really mean? Are we, are we going to be stepping back as leaders, as companies from uh, certain areas that we could make profit in or, or not? Um, I think that's an open question. So lots of work to be done there to, to really hone in on what does that mean to be committed to all stakeholders? Um, how do we really put employees in a position to succeed? How do we really engage with communities in a way that has impact? Uh, so early, early stages, even two years in, you know, I, I don't know what the grade is uh, and I don't know what the percentage is, but a long, long way to go to understand more how that will work in real life. Yeah, we're actually doing a piece of work on that at the moment with looking at 50 of the companies. So we'll we'll have that published in the next month, um, uh, sort of a mini audit of, of how, how they've been doing. But yeah, it sounds like you've got a real sweet spot there. Andy, so I wish you well with it. And, um, you know, it sounds like a great offering. So um, and good luck with everything. Um, Thank you. Yeah, it's good to see an interesting new startup. Frank, uh, let's get into the stories. This week's uh, the Q2 numbers have started coming through. Omnicom and IPG. Clearly, Q2 last year was a terrible year. You know, it was probably the, the bottom of the, the sort of COVID recession. In fact, it was the shortest recession ever, wasn't it? Uh, that came out this week. I think it was only literally two or three months, and it was pretty much was Q2. So if you don't do good numbers in the comparatives, then you, you're doing something pretty badly wrong, aren't you? How did they get on? Yeah, I, everybody's up double digits. And um, I think the numbers are, are pretty much what we expected them to be. And that if you look at Omnicom Group's PR agencies, which, of course, include Ketchum, Fleischman, Hillard, Gordon Novelli, Marina Marr, and others, um, their PR firms are up 15.1% in the quarter to uh, just under $346 million. If you look at IPGs, and you look at their Dexter group, which includes a number of event marketing firms, but also Weber, Shanwick, uh, and Golan, um, they registered double-digit growth on both an as-reported and organic basis in Q2. And I, I think that's what we expected. We expected them to be up double digits in Q2 because, like you just said, Q2 of 2020 was just uh, you know, the bottom of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. And how did um, Omnicom do? Because they were both roughly the same, weren't they? I guess around 15 Yeah. Yes, that's correct. So Omnicom is up 15.1%. Now, what we know about the PR firms within Dexter, they're, they're double-digit growth for both as reported and organic. Um, and if you look at the, the Dexter group as a whole, all the firms, you know, specialist marketing events, all of that, uh, they're up 15.1% to, uh, to 315.1 million in Q2. Yeah. Now uh, they performed, PR performed not as well as advertising in some of the other units or even the overall growth year on year. But I guess that is partly because PR didn't dip down quite as low. If you think about Q2 last year, advertising pretty much came to a grinding halt, didn't it? So um, I don't think that's a negative necessarily because PR was more robust. And in fact, as we saw from the agency business report this year, many firms, especially with healthcare and some of their corporate work, grew and grew quite significantly. So um, were there any, you know, in a way it's, it's, it, we should be looking back to 2019, shouldn't we? So were there any findings in making that two-year comparison? So if you take a look at IPG, um, for instance, um, and if you go back to Q2 2019 for them, 
they saw low single-digit revenue growth on both an as-reported and an organic basis uh, for that quarter two years ago. Um, so yeah, so up on if you were to make a two-year jump comparison, it would be up on low single-digit revenue growth from that time. Yeah, Andy, what do you make of it? You used to work in holding company agencies, and um, clearly. They had to. They had some tough decisions to make. Many of them. They had to make layoffs. They had to do furloughs, salary cuts, and all the rest of it. But uh, they have definitely bounced back. And and you know the the skills that that you're tapping into and the areas you're tapping into was some of the areas that have been driving the growth as well as healthcare, of course. Yeah, uh, very. Um, encouraging to see that the bounce back is real. That the V-shaped. Uh, recovery, at least in PR, is is real. So that's great. Uh, as you say, you know that corporate advisory, that CEO advisory, that financial communications, um, stakeholder engagement piece, central to the to the businesses and, and healthcare. I mean, we are uh, in, in our early days. We've already got several healthcare opportunities on the table, and so that's clearly clearly an area of need out there in the market. Um, as Frank said, you know, bouncing back off of a low base from middle of last year. Um, but it does seem like the centrality of the communications function and the need to uh, reach key audiences is, is clearly being recognized by, by clients. Yeah. I mean, if you look at your old agency, Edelman, they're 25% of their business is healthcare. And if you think they're a nine, almost a $900 million business, that's, that's an extraordinary amount. And, um, yep. I don't remember. Weber Shandwick, well, Andy Polanski, uh, chairman of Weber Shandwick's, n- noted that every, you know, pretty much all communication stories are going to have a public health lens through them, at least for the next couple of years, because that's just the new reality. So, yeah, that's uh, certainly going to be a continuing trend. Let's talk about Facebook. Um, crazy story, really. Um, the, the president said that they were helping to kill people, and uh, then he sort of slightly walked that back. But this whole misinformation situation is uh, is a big problem, as we've talked about many times, not just on Facebook, but on Twitter and other, other social media. But uh, Facebook's incredibly powerful, and, um, you know, there's a lot of disinformation out there. So talk us through this one, Frank. Well, I think what you, in what you said, the president, you know, doing the sort of walk to the helicopter, many – press briefing uh, type thing, um, basically said, yeah, Facebook, they're killing people by not uh, correcting misinformation or disinformation more quickly uh, about vaccines and about COVID-19. I think there was a really good column by Kara Swisher on this um, that that pointed out that, yes, that's an exaggeration, but um, in broad strokes, uh, he's he's making a good point. Uh, in that Facebook could be doing more uh, and Facebook could be, you know, taking more responsibility for itself and and for its lack of cracking down on misinformation on the platform. And, you know, this is a pattern you see over and over again with Facebook where where they just don't take a lot of responsibility for what's happening on their platform. And you see it with the the post-January 6th environment, you know, where where they claimed Almost all of the planning was done elsewhere, and people had a lot of evidence otherwise. And you see it after the 2016 election, and there's a, there are books coming out about that now. But um, look, I, I like you said, they're incredibly powerful. I, I think they could and should be doing more to, to crack down on these things. And and it is true, and I think you hear this 
from people in your personal life, but also you read about it. When people have wild theories about the vaccines or they have wild theories about COVID-19 being a hoax or something like that, you often hear the phrase, I read it on Facebook or I saw this on Facebook or somebody shared it with me on Facebook. So I, I for one, think they could be doing a lot more to to shut this stuff down because with the with the Delta variant spreading the way it is right now in the U.S. and abroad, I mean, we're again at a critical moment here. We are, and the markets reflected that uh, earlier this week. Yeah, um, yeah, Andrew, um, this misinformation, disinformation about your brand, your company, is something that all corporations are having to deal with increasingly. And a lot of that uh, information is, you know, distributed on Facebook and other social media. So you've got to be so super aware of this, haven't you, as a as a communicator and as an agency partner? And you know, I just. I just feel Facebook and Twitter have got to do more about, about hate speech, about racism, you know, allowing anonymous accounts that, you know, basically are saying things that would be totally criminal, if it, which are totally criminal. And if you were, you know, you'd be arrested if you were shouting those in the streets. So they've got to do more, haven't they? I mean, they're making billions of dollars here. So it's not like they haven't got the uh, resources to invest in this. There's a couple of things that come to mind. One is sort of the expectation gap, which is, you know, some of these platforms have sort of made made it sound as if they're the the the, the savior to the problem, right? Of 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 public discourse. Here here we are, place where people to share and and the like. And then when um, when what is shared is potentially dangerous or inaccurate, they they sort of have a tendency to, to take a hands-off approach. And so you can't have it both ways, uh, I think is what's happening here. And, and they have to make some decisions about how to, how to really r- wrestle with that. Um, the other piece is, you know, as you say, the, the financial incentives, um, you know, if they were to crack down on some of these, uh, you know, pieces of, of speech or, or posts that are inaccurate, would they uh, hurt their business? And, and and that's where the stakeholder capital capitalism rubber meets the road in some instances, and and so they'd have to make some tough decisions. And and I think it's probably close to time to do that uh, and to say we're going to to uh, do what's right and 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 really uh, really take action here, even if it has some short term impact on on our earnings potential. That's the that's the rub, uh, and, and they've got more to do. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of the, there's some research being done recently showing that there's a bunch of fake media accounts, you know, pur- purporting to be media owners and uh, credible media owners, which are pumping out this pumping out this stuff. Um, and I should, we should also say that Facebook is is also a medium for sharing uh, information about getting vaccinated. It's helped a sure. lot. We'll find out the information, and and that was their response as well. So uh, you know, we should point that out too. Um, for sure. I think they've had a tendency to do what what some CEOs have tended to do over the years, which sort of talk about, which is sort of the chest out, we no, nothing to see here, folks. We've got it covered. Uh, posture, I, I think, can be problematic in the end. So, uh, I think something for them to uh, to really, really wrestle with. Yeah, what we need is another video of Mark Zuckerberg on his uh, right. his flag. Right, I'll sort it out. Um, anyway, we're, we'll talk about billionaires a bit more later. Um, the Tokyo Olympics, Frank, they're, uh, you know, the troubled, troubled, the most troubled Olympics, uh, one of the most troubled Olympics I can remember, although there's clearly been some, some 
various uh, various problems at Olympics in the past, but uh, it's finally getting underway on Friday. So um, one of my favorite parts of the Olympics is the opening ceremony when you see all the athletes under all the different flags and you sort of see how sport can bring the world together. And that, to me, it always makes me feel fantastic. And it's, it's something that sport and music can do that, you know, politics doesn't seem to be able to do so it's a great it's a great occasion for that if nothing if nothing else yeah it is though it'll be different without spectators won't it? yeah that's it, true. it won't quite be the, the same feeling um but the big news about the games this week is well number one they're underway uh there are some uh softball games going on uh, a few women's soccer matches uh early this morning we mentioned earlier the american women's team uh was upset three nothing by sweden but the big marketing news of the week related to the Olympics is Toyota said that they won't be airing any Olympic-themed ads on Japanese television uh, during the game just because uh, it, the public support for the games is just so low within Japan. I saw a poll that said 80% of people within the country are against uh, holding it. And so it's, it's just such an unpopular event. They don't want to be associated with it. And I'm trying to think of a parallel of if, if that were to happen in, in this country. And it would almost, you'd have to think of something like, you know, Coca-Cola pulling out of the Super Bowl at the last minute just because it was uh, being played when people didn't want it to be played or something like that. But it's it's really stunning news when you think about what a big brand and what a big company Toyota is uh, within Japan. And, and, you know, a company that's a, a point of national pride, too. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when London got the Olympics and everyone was up in arms because it was costing so much money. But when they actually came around, everyone really got into it and and it was amazing. You know, it was fantastic. But different times. um, And um, it's going to be a very different Olympics. What about the broadcasting element to it? You know, NBC's got the rights. They typically do a roundup show, don't they, in sort of early evenings for the U.S. audience. And um, sometimes, you know, they wouldn't even show big events live, but although they've now got the streaming option, so you can watch it live on that. So how's that? They've still sold a lot of advertising, you know? It sounds like They have, yeah, they have. In fact, it's going to turn out to be a pretty good event for them. Um, obviously the time difference here is, is huge. And that's, that's going to, um, you know, you're probably not going to see almost anything live in prime time though. I did notice with some of the more popular events, they do seem to be scheduled for, I guess, later in the morning, Japanese or later in the evening, Japanese time that puts them at kind of a late morning start time. Like a lot of the U S basketball games are kind of eight, 9 AM, uh, where you could get a Western audience to watch. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know I, I, how much that will affect it. I think people will still watch things like the 100 meters uh, or the really popular gymnastics events and things like that because they only come around once every four years. But uh, you'll have to work extra hard to avoid spoilers this time. Yeah, there's no Usain Bolt this time. Uh, I was interested to see, see a survey. Uh, it was on Axios. I don't know if they did it, but it's on what are the most popular sports in the Olympics with Americans. And actually, track and field was only fourth, which was quite quite interesting. But mm. uh, Andrew, I think H and K was always very heavily involved with Olympic work, wasn't it, back in the day? So, is, do you have any views on this as a you know as a a vehicle for um, getting your messages across and getting you know doing great campaign work? Yeah, H and K was big with, excuse me, with the with the Olympics over the years, um, for sure. 
clearly really interesting, Frank, what you shared about some of the advertising spend. Um, so clearly uh, one of those few events where all the eyes in the world are, are, are tuned in. So clearly very, very powerful. I think even, you know, one, one thing I've been thinking about with the Olympics is think about where we were last year when, when the Olympics were, were canceled or postponed or whatever the word is. Um, so to have them happening this year, even, even with the challenges, even with the, uh, you know, the challenges of getting vaccine out to various places in the world, no fans, et cetera, at the very least, it's a step forward to, to better days. And that's, that's a wonderful thing, um, that I'm, I'm trying to focus on is great to be able to have something that can bring us all together across the world, uh, even though challenges remain. Yeah, let's have some great stories, you know, yeah. some great athletic performances. There's always stars that emerge, aren't there? Um, right. To replace the Usain Bolts. I mean, Simone Biles is there. And, you know, some of the some of the athletes are there. Djokovic, I think, is going in tennis, but some of the big-name athletes have not traveled um, quite quite understandably so. And the Olympic Village does seem to me like a super spreader, uh, <laughs> like the ultimate super spreading environment. Oh anyway. <laughs> Just uh, ho- I'm really hopeful that, that there aren't any of those kinds of stories that come out, but, but yeah. Um, yeah, it does seem like there's, there's a significant risk. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the billionaire. We're running a bit long. So the billionaires have launched themselves into space, Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos. Um, yeah. They, they took a bit of flack, haven't they, Frank? Because uh, you know, is this the right thing to be doing at this time? Well, I guess it's their money. They can do what they like with it. Can't they? Uh, yeah. I, I guess that's one way of looking at it. I'm, I'm generally a, a fan of, space exploration you know uh and i, I love watching documentaries and reading about you know the, the the mercury project and the apollo project and gemini and all those things way back in the 60s um it's obviously a totally different thing now because you have private sector individuals and not governments funding these so i think yeah one way of looking at it is saying look it's somebody they can do what they want with it um it's also a question of uh would this money not be better spent on earth in you know various various ways i think one of the highlights that came out of uh the let's call it the bezos launch and return uh was that in the press conference afterwards he he very awkwardly said he wanted to thank every amazon employee and every amazon customer because you guys paid for all this which is is very which is true uh, to be clear, but it's a, it's a very when your when your staff and employee practices are under the microscope, that's a very odd way of putting things. I'm sure he wants that one back. Let's see. So is Linda Mills advising him on this, or is he's not? He can't call on Jay Carney anymore, the Amazon head of comms. I suppose. So Linda Linda Mills is the top comms person, at Blue Origin. Um, so and and yeah, he is technically no longer at Amazon. So uh, Jay, Jay will probably not have to uh, clean this one up. But um, yeah, it's it's just such a, an awkward thing to say. I don't I don't know. I don't know what he was thinking saying that one. How would you? I know he's he's fascinated by space. I saw him at, mm. at, at an event with a an astronaut, and uh, he's clearly a passion of his. Andrew, what do, how would you advise Branson and and Bezos to position themselves around this stuff? You know, it's it's bad timing in a way, isn't it? Because it, it just happens to have fallen at a time when the world is suffering badly. There's, there's a little bit of bad timing. Uh, I think you know the framing there that you mentioned. You know, not ideal. But on uh, you know if you could frame it as as an as an important next step as we as we do great things for humanity um, that would be inspiring and 
maybe a missed opportunity to, to, to hone in on that. It sounds like he was trying to be funny and it just missed the mark. Uh, and, and a lot of times that's, that's the uh that's what the thing not to do yeah yeah that's right so uh in any ways I, I, what what an inspirational thing it could be if we could talk about you know uh, another great step for mankind or what have you but um mm-hmm. uh, maybe a miss there and if any of our friends in the the communications technology space or the monitoring space are listening this is the sort of thing where we'd love to you'd love to know what what you all noticed about um how well this was received in the media and we see positive net positive coverage, net negative coverage and and things like that, because uh, I'm sure there are a lot of people who are science and space junkies who want to see this sort of thing, but also might be, you'll have questions about how the money's being spent. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the coverage I saw was, you know, revolved around the shape of Bezos's rocket, but anyway, that's just, that's just the, maybe that's just the caliber of media outlets that I consume. But um, anyway, uh, good on them. And they came back safe and uh, it was, uh, I'm sure we'll see more of this very quickly. Frank list some two interesting articles we published this week from uh, from a CMO, one from a CEO from industries really challenged over the last 16 months. Yeah, so interesting before that you mentioned, um, I think you were talking to Andy Polanski and you said there's going to be a public health element to pretty much everything over the next couple of years. And and you see that uh, in some of the features we're doing. Um, and one of which was with uh, Discover Puerto Rico CMO Leah Chandler. Um, and she talked about and really stepping into that role as, as kind of the top marketer uh, for an entire island uh, when it faced, you know, these devastating hurricanes, political issues with the local government, earthquakes in January 2020. And then she has to step into the COVID-19 pandemic and talk about uh, health and safety measures and, and, and you know, promote the island uh, as a destination, but also, you know, uh, talking about managing expectations and, and balancing with safety and doing all of those things. I think not an easy job. Um, also have a CEO feature with Mark's Realty's CEO, Craig Deitzelzweig on, um, remaking the workplace. Um, and basically what he is saying in a nutshell is that offices are going to have to be a place where people want to be, where they enjoy being and, you know, where they feel safe and, you know, it's gotta be more than as he described it, white marble hallways. So uh, I agree with that. And I think, you know, as, as, as folks who generally in normal times work in Manhattan, I think, you know, everybody's going to want to feel a sense of uh, maybe not comfort, but, but just to feel a sense of uh, that it's a safe place to work once we get back. Yeah, absolutely. Both worth checking out. Really good pieces. Um, one by Diana Bradley, the other by Betsy Kim. Um, yeah, and we're launching our PR Week Awards. So the 2022 Awards will launch the Oscars of the PR industry. Um, very, you know, we get the best work. It's the most credible um, pr- program out there in the industry. And um, we're really excited about launching it this year. We've got a couple of changes. We've got um one new category for extra large agencies. So we've um, large agencies are now defined as 65 to $200 million and uh, extra large is 200 million and above. Andy, I hope we're going to be seeing you in the boutique uh, agency uh, entry level. And who knows, you can aspire to the, uh, to the larger, uh, <laughs> the large category down the line. 
That's exactly right. We'll 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 see you all uh, in the competition line here. So uh, yeah. Um, and we've also introduced a category for DEI transformation. So look out for those. But uh, yeah, and apart from that, we've got our 40 under 40 list coming out next week. So look out for that. It's one of the most popular things we do. And we'll be celebrating that in person on the 28th. The Purpose Awards will also be in person on the 13th of October as part of PR Decoded, the 12th to the 14th. That, that conference will be virtual. And we'll be sending out the call for entries for best places to work soon. So uh, Andy, great to chat to you. Really enjoyed finding out more about the agency and wish you good luck with it. Sounds exciting. Thank you very much. Great to uh, be with you today. Uh, Frank, always a pleasure. Have a good week. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit prweek.com.